Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did it. I'm Charlotte Northworthy. On this episode of The Lead, I talk with National Public Radio's ombudsman, Elizabeth Jensen, also known as the public editor. She spent more than three decades taking an objective look at the media industry, reporting for publications like The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Columbia Journalism Review, and more. She has her journalism degree from Northwestern and her master's in international relations from Tufts University. In this episode, she defines the role of an ombudsman in the newsroom, and we discuss why the media industry should take a good long look in the mirror. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership as a part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So before we dive into your, you know, three-decade-long background, oh dear, yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the elephant in the room, an ombudsman. Can you kind of lead the way on explaining that? Sure. So an ombudsman uh, is an old term. I think most people, with the exception of NPR, have really shifted over to the title of public editor, which does and does not get at sort of the heart of the uh, of the role. So, uh, so the role is really, I am the public's liaison with the newsroom. So I take concerns from the public to the newsroom if I feel that they're warranted. And then I also sort of communicate to the public from the newsroom. So if there are changes in the newsroom or the reasons for which they are doing things, uh, that's sort of my role is to explain that to the public. More people have shifted to the term public editor. It's also not quite perfect because I have no editorial role in the newsroom. NPR gives me space on the website, npr.org, to write a column, uh, which usually comes out once a week big issues I, I kind of raise up, if you will. But we also get probably 1,000, 500 to 1,000 emails a month. I feel like a lot of people my age and maybe more in your experience have never heard of, of this mm-hmm. thing called a public editor or an ombudsman. Why do you think that that's the case? Do you see you know, the value of, of your position shifting as, as the industry shifts? Mm-hmm. Um, what, is your, what is your take on that? Right. It's a role that sort of uh, waxes and wanes, if you will. Uh, Twelve years ago, quite a few publications had them. NPR hired their first one 12 years ago. So it's it's an old role. It's been around for a while, but sort of it had its moment really probably more a decade ago. I think at one point the Boston Globe had one. The Washington Post had, had one for many years. With the rise of social media, there's been a really big debate over uh, the role. So pretty much NPR is the only major newsroom in the country uh, that still has a full-time ombudsman. PBS has a part-time person. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which distributes the federal appropriation for public broadcasting to uh, radio stations and TV stations, they also have a part-time person. But NPR is really the last of the full-time public editors. So the New York Times got rid of their, they eliminated the post a year ago. ESPN got rid of their post earlier this year. The Washington Post and the Boston Globe eliminated it many years ago. Right, so the, the, the rationale that these organizations have used when they've ended the job is that social media has become a replacement, that there are plenty of critics out there, and if there's a problem with their reporting, then people will be quick to uh, surface those complaints on public media. I have argued and, and continue to argue that it's a completely different role. So uh, social media is great for very quickly raising concerns, particularly when there's a correction of some, you know, if a news organization gets something wrong, it's it's going to 
be there on Twitter pretty quickly. So that's uh, that's very valuable. And you know, frankly, if a, if a news organization gets something wrong in terms of emphasis or it, just the way they went about reporting something, that can also be raised on social media. The difference with a public editor is the public editor is inside the organization. The, the newsroom has been told by NPR management that they are expected to cooperate with any ombudsman public editor investigation. So that's the difference. So you have someone who's inside who can camp out on someone's doorstep if need be to get an answer, <laughs> um, you know, who, who can really sort of get an answer for the listeners and the readers and the public in a way that, you know, an outside media critic or just a, just a general member of the public wouldn't be able to. Right. So you, you're almost acting as a middleman, if you will, right. between your sort of sifting through, you said, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of, right. of, of <laughs> right. inquiries, yes. you know, yes, sure. um, you know right. a month, a year, and, and you're kind of sifting through those right. and then channeling them to sort of be responsive to the public um, right. and also sort of keeping the newsroom in check. Right. Right. And I don't even want to, like, in check is, yes, sometimes what happens. I prefer to say that we're all on the same side. Yes, it's an adversarial role, if you will. Um, no one likes to hear from the public editor. <laughs> Someone once said, yeah, you don't want to see your name popping up in the, <laughs> in the inbox, right? Um, so because it probably means that there's a, you know, a correction coming or a concern or et cetera. But ultimately, we're really, I'm on the same side as the newsroom. I mean, we're all here because we want to produce trustworthy, quality journalism. So I, I don't actually like to say I keep the newsroom in check. I like to say that, you know, we're, we're, I'm just another set of eyes and ears, if you will. Uh, I have a little bit of distance from the newsroom, and so that gives me just a little bit more freedom, if you will, to sort of say what I think. And my job is to be totally independent and, and not be influenced by anyone. I talk to people in the newsroom before I come to my conclusions. But, you know, and sometimes I'm tough on the newsroom. Uh, sometimes listeners and readers wish I were tougher. Right. <laughs> um, Right. So it, it's it's not always easy to get that balance, but I, I think it's we're all sort of here with the same goal, which is quality journalism. So take me through a day in your life. Oh, dear. You know, I, I'm very fascinated about your process and, mm-hmm. and, you know, how do you go about deciding what to respond to? And do you ever find yourself trying to strike a balance between, quote, negative, Mm, you know, responses versus, quote, positive praise? What is your process like? Right. So um, I guess I would break it down into uh, the the emails that I respond to versus the column. So uh, we we try and respond to the vast majority of the emails. Uh, We're an office of two. Occasionally we have an intern, like Mm -hmm. we do this summer. So sometimes we're three, but for the most part, we're two. Some of the concerns we, we hear over and over. So we get a lot of people who ask, you know, why does NPR always give credit to Skype when they do an interview on a Skype, you know, over Skype? And well, it's in the Skype terms of service. You know, listeners hear that as product placement. We try to explain that it's not. So those are pretty easy um, to answer. And we do try and answer the vast majority of emails. When it becomes a column, it's, I, I guess my approach has evolved a little bit. So when I first started, it was much more, this piece came out and it was, you know, badly done and NPR should do better the next time. I've shied away or I've moved away a little bit from those because I think they don't have as much value in retrospect. So I try and more do columns. Like I will, I will still write about those, but I, I tend to prefer to write about those when there's a underlying process that wasn't followed that might have broader implications. NPR made a 
bad mistake back at Easter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, mischaracterizing Easter <laughs> yes. and what it was and its mm-hmm. importance to Christians and basically misstated the timeline in the Bible. You know, I don't always call out people for mistakes like that, but there was a, there was a huge outcry, and people were saying it was an evidence of an anti-Christian bias and anti-religious bias at NPR. And so I really thought it was worth sort of jumping in and saying, how did this happen? It happened because people were moving really quickly, and, you know, it was a, it was a reporter mistake, but it was also an editor mistake. And it's just people were sort of very quickly trying to um, get material up on the website. And so to me, that was sort of an underlying process. Let's stop. Let's uh, take a minute. Let's really correct things. The editor involved was actually Catholic educated. He freely admits that he should have known. And I think the conclusion of the newsroom was that just people were moving too quickly. There is another concern that I've been writing about for, I don't know, well over a year, which is that I feel NPR does not have enough copy editing positions. And so Unlike in a traditional newsroom, a newspaper where I worked for uh, most of my career, pieces would at least get a once-over from a copy editor. That's not happening at NPR. I think they, the newsroom agrees that they would like to have more copy editing staff. I, I, I don't do a lot of praise in the column. You know, I, I will work things in. I've written about a lot about sort of live interviews and whether NPR staff, whether hosts and, and other interviewers are uh, sufficiently holding the guests you know, feet to the fire, if you will, and and really pressing them when they don't want to answer a question. And so I have sort of called out good examples when I've heard them along with bad examples. Did you always know that you wanted to be an ombudsman? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you, I didn't know the position existed. Right. Uh, Yeah, no, I started out, studied journalism at Northwestern, and I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And so I I did quite a bit of uh, study abroad, and I got a uh, master's degree in international relations, I thought I was going to do, you know, some kind of sort of working on an international desk. Or as it turned out, I got offered a job uh, covering pretty amazingly radio. My very first job was covering radio, the radio business for a trade magazine uh, that no longer exists called Electronic Media. Covered, um, NPR had some financial challenges very early on and I actually, that was one of the first stories I covered. I worked my way up from the trades to the consumer papers. I never wanted to be a business reporter. I ended up being essentially a business reporter covering the media for all but a year and a half of my career. And I worked at the Wall Street Journal, as you said, and covering um, corporate media, but also covering public media. And then for the last 10 years, I was covering public media as a freelancer for the New York Times and other publications. So I was really doing a deep dive in public media and so I think that was how NPR. That was your segue. That was almost. my segue. NPR approached me and said, "Well, we want someone who's, you know, who's very familiar with public media, but also you need to be a distant. So it's not a career path that you can really choose, and there are so few of them that you know, uh, I, I wouldn't uh, counsel anyone to actually <laughs> choose it as a career path because right. I know who knows if if the job is going to exist ten years from now. Right. I don't know. I mean, I hope it will. I hope people actually. You know, we're in an era where people don't trust the media and, you know. Right, there seems to be a need for it now more so than ever. I I, I agree. I I think it's one hallmark of quality, trustworthy journalism is to say, okay, we're willing to sort of examine ourselves and let ourselves be examined in depth and take some of the concerns and criticisms and suggestions to heart. You know, it's not it's not cheap. I mean, it's, you know, it's another two staff positions. You know, I've heard newsrooms argue, well, if it's another reporter versus an ombudsperson, 
maybe we're going to take the reporter. So 30 years, yes. you know, 30 plus years, it's been a long, <laughs> yes. it's been a long road, it I'm has sure. Been a long road. So yes. you've seen a lot right. of change in that yes, time. Yes, I have. Pointing and looking at people, you know, such as myself, students mm-hmm. and, and early, early career professionals, what advice do you have to them when it comes mm. to navigating a field that's far more vast than I ever knew before we even sat right. down and spoke today? Right. I, I, I've been thinking about this. I get asked that a lot. You know, it, it is a very different era. I, I uh, wrote a column I don't know, a couple of years ago. Someone said, well, why didn't you ever do, you know, international journalism at the time? And I was pointed, actually. So I had a lot of conversations with people, and they said, we really need a freelancer in northern Africa. If you were to go down there, we could definitely use you, and we think you have the credentials, etc. So this was a time where you didn't have laptops, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have the kind of instantaneous support, and frankly, I just didn't think I could pull it off. So it's a very different era. Like, I think today, I think probably I would have taken that sort of leap and gone and done that, right? That said, I think my best advice to folks is to be really open. So I had a career path. I knew what I wanted to do. I'd been wanting to do it for a long time. And a different opportunity presented itself. I never wanted to be a business reporter. And I got offered a job at the Wall Street Journal. And I thought, well, okay, I don't know if I can do this. But I, I sometimes see people who are on kind of a career path. And they it, it's good to be focused. But I also think there's value into, in being open to sort of what comes along. Uh, this is not something I could have imagined. It's, it's, you know, it's by far the best job I've ever had. It's probably the toughest job I've ever had in many ways, just because it is sort of that inside-outside perspective, and you have to really focus your mind to be independent. And so I don't, I don't think I ever would have chosen this, and I absolutely love it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been a pleasure. Great advice. Great chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Lead. This episode was produced and hosted by Charlotte Norsworthy with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes with interesting media leaders, subscribe to The Lead on iTunes or Google Play. Until next time.